we're going to read from Genesis 1. Uh, We'll have the verses up on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, we're going to be reading from uh, verse 26. So that's Genesis 1, starting at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had, and God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Well, it really is, uh, it's great to, um, it is great to be with you. Um, I mean, I've got, I've got to be completely honest, there was a part of me this morning, um, in fact, it was probably the, the larger part of me this morning that was going, what, stay in bed, um, your, your new little baby's just right next to you. Um, but one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to make this a, a priority, and Hannah, uh, my wife, wanted to make this a priority in terms of letting me come, uh, was because um, I, not only is this room filled with some of the people that I love best, um, some of my happiest memories are associated with people, um, and uh, certainly in kind of the church that, that this, uh, this church came from. Uh, but I also think it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity that we got this morning, and it's a, it's a great joy and a privilege just to come and seek to teach some of this stuff um, out of the Bible uh, to you. Uh, a few things to say before I, before I start. Um, one is, um, uh, Hannah, uh, my, my wife Rich, can, can she have her Christina Aguilera CDs back? Please. Um, you've, you've had them a long time, and she sent the message to uh, If you can send them back, that would be really great. Um, her Britney Spears ones as well, the Whitney Houston, um, all of those. If you can just bring them back, that would be really helpful. Thank you. You've had them for far too long. Um, I, am, I am tired. It's a joke, but I am tired, and I'm quite emotional um, as well. I've got to be really honest with you. I found myself yesterday in, in a car park, in the hospital car park, early in the morning, I uh, just rang my mum to tell her that my, my, you know, the little Henry had been born, and uh, I just couldn't speak for about two minutes, which for me was a long time, because um, I was just, I was just crying. So uh, there may be tears at some point today, um, which would be fun for everybody, uh, I'm sure. So <laughs> if I'm, if I, if you're kind of talking to me afterwards, um, and I just burst into tears uncontrollably, um, it could be something you're saying. Um, it, could, it could be because you're very boring, and I want an excuse just to get out of somewhere. Um, but it's probably more to do with the fact that there's a lot of emotions going on. Um, but do you know what? Here's, here's the weird thing. Um, I, I was, uh, as I, I'm not going to talk about this. this is, there are going to be other subjects than my new baby um, in these three years. <laughs> but as I was standing there yesterday morning, because um, there's kind of, uh, there's just this really quiet, um, everything's taken care of. There's, there's all the, there's everything that happens with labor. And then everyone disappears when everything's fine. And you're just left, the three of you in a room, Hannah was sleeping. I've got my little baby and I'm looking out over the city of Leeds. I was looking in his face and um, Henry's face. And I was thinking, what a great picture of, of a new life coming to the world. And here he is. There's nothing, there's nothing on him. 
Who's he going to be? What, what is he going to be in this world? You know, what joy is he going to bring to my heart? What, what's he going to go on and do with the rest of his life? And one of the great privileges that, that you have as a parent is being able to guide your children into understanding who they are. Into understanding who they are in this world, what this world is about, and what their place in this world is all about. And that's, one of, that's been my prayer for my kids as we raise them. Not that I would tell them everything, but that I would help them understand their place in the world. And if over these three sessions I can just do a tiny bit of that as I open the Bible, help you understand who you are in this world in which we all live, then, then I, I, I think I'd be, I'd be leaving kind of saying thank you to God uh, for the opportunity that we've had. Um, look, identity is one of the biggest things that we could look at. Oh, I need to say one more thing as well, yeah. Um, you, 16 to 21 was the sort of notional age group of this conference. Um, I, uh, I, don't like, I hate doing children's work. Um, I just really dislike children's work of, of all sorts. Um, it's important, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I'm thankful that other people do it. Um, and one of the reasons is because um, I, I don't like talking down to people. Um, so with, with kids, I tend to speak to kids only ever, not really very different to how I talk to adults. Um, I use different pictures and all of those kind of things. When you, by the time you're 16, I'm like, forget it. I'm not, I'm not doing anything to accommodate a 16-year-old. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you just like I would talk to anyone as I'm teaching the Bible. Okay, just like I would talk at my church when I teach the Bible. Now, that might mean I push you just to, um, I may ask quite a lot of you today. Okay, so I'm just saying be prepared. I'm asking for like three sessions, that's all. All right? Uh, please listen to the breakout sessions as well. That, you know, I'm not just saying listen to my sessions. But three sessions where we might, I might push you just to think about some stuff, okay? To do some damage in your heart. That, that's what I want to do. Um, so, so I'm praying that, that God would enable us to do that. So I'm going to ask quite a bit of you, but that's fine. Um, because you can go home at the end of today and you can, you can just rest and you can process it. Um, but but that's, uh, that's what we're going to do. So identity. Um, who are you? What do you live for? Why, why does it matter? All of those kind of questions. I don't think we could ask a, a bigger question in many ways. And uh, the reality is, as Rich said, um, as he showed that, that video... Every single one of us has been told who we are, or has been told who we should be. It's relentless, it's constant, it happens the whole time. The whole question of identity, I think, is one of the biggest questions that appears in the culture in which we live in, especially in in this historic moment where we are. And and you you are hearing messages that try and shape you. Consciously you hear them, unconsciously you hear them. There's kind of unspoken sermons being preached at you every single day, from, from all kinds of different places. And, and the messages kind of say, basically, you know, you, things like you are the friends that you have. You, you are the university you go to. You are the grades you get. You are the, universe, you are the, uh, the achievements that you make. You're the clothes you, you wear. You, you're the music that you listen to. You're the kind of body that you have. Uh, you're the job you work. You are the wage you earn. You are the good things that you do. You're getting messages the, the whole time relating to who you are, your identity. And it comes, it's, it's everywhere. Let me, I was driving in the car this morning and, uh, and I could just, off the top of my head, I just thought of three films, three of the biggest films uh, in recent years that deal with the issue of identity. The, the Bourne trilogy, and I know we've got some ridiculously kind of people into that here. They, it's, they, they want to be Jason Bourne. Uh, so, but the Bourne, the, the three films, there are three. I've never got around to seeing the third one, so I probably should. Um, but they are, they're a man, how's it start? He doesn't know who he is. Yeah, and as the three progress, I think he probably finds out who he is. Or maybe it's even more confusing and he doesn't know who he is. But they're, they're all about a guy figuring out who he is. He loses his identity and he has to refind it again. Inception, um, for my money, one of the, it's just an incredible film. If you've not seen it, you really should. Inception is to a large measure about who we are as people. 
If you think about the central, Leonardo DiCaprio, his, his character, he creates this world which is in relation to his, his, his wife. I'm going to try and not ruin it for all of you. Mind you, trying to explain the plot of Inception is hard enough, let alone kind of ruin the plot of Inception. So um, I'm not even going to try and explain it. But he creates this world in which he can really live, in which he can really be himself. And you get this whole blurring of, is he more real when he's in the world he creates, or is he more real in, in the actual world in which he lives? And then the whole thing finishes, and you're like, well, I don't know which world he's in anyway. Okay, did the spinner stop? Did it fall over? I don't know. Let's go and talk about it, shall we? So, so you've got this, this inception was all about that. And then Avatar. Avatar was another film that was all about identity. Okay? It was the only film ever to work in 3D, by the way. Um, and and, it was, and it, the only, it's just, you know, 3D is not worth it. Uh, apart from Avatar, that was the one film it was worth it for. Um, anyway, this isn't a sermon about, about <laughs> cinema. But, um, yeah, in Avatar, you've got a guy, and, and again, the question is, where is he most real? Where is he really the man that he's supposed to be? Is it like when he's a nine-foot smurf, or is it, is it, you know, is it when he's a soldier? Which, which is really who he is? And, and it plays itself out over the whole course of the film. That's about other things as well. But this whole question of who you are, how you define yourself, who you're going to be in this world, is a question that just circulates round and round and round again in, in our culture. And there's, there's a reason for that. It, it, and the reason we're going to kind of explore over these three sessions together. Um, because it's a question that we've been asking right from the very beginning. And here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say to understand, for any of you to understand who you are, because the Bible has a lot to say about who you are, for, for any of you to understand who you are, there's three things you must understand. In this first session, we're going to look at the, the fact that you must understand you were created. In the second session, we're going to look at the fact that to know who you are, you must understand that you're fallen. That you're fallen. And then in the third session, to know who you are, you must understand that you need to be rescued. And I'm going to suggest that when you understand those three things, in fact, it's only in understanding those three things that you will ever really figure out who you are and your place in this world. That is, a, that, is a, that is a remarkable thing for anybody who you've probably never met to stand up and tell you. But unless you understand that you are created, that you're fallen, and that you're in need of rescue, you will not make sense of who you are. You will not make sense of this world in which you live. So that's where we're going. That's, that's where we're going to go into each, each session. Created this first one, fallen the second. Um, and uh, if I've woken up from a nap this afternoon, we're, we will look at rescued in the last session. Um, okay, so Genesis chapter 1, created. Um, what, 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 your, what our culture, what the, the message you hear about who you are, about where you came from, I'm going to reconstruct that into a sentence that actually makes sense. Let's just, we'll play that one back again. Okay. <laughs> where, in understanding where you come from, in understanding where you come from is vital in understanding who you are. Okay, does that make sense? Hey, by the way, if at any point I'm not making sense, I genuinely mean this. You need to do more than just kind of look embarrassed. Because I may not make sense at various points. So please, somebody wave if you like. I need to I, go, go, go back over that. And at various points, I'll, I'll just ask you if, you, if you've understood something. Um, so, so, that, so in order to understand who we are, we need to understand something of where we've come from. Now, the, 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 the common message that you'll receive in our Western culture is, is the, the place that we came from. Our arrival, it was an accident. Our, our death really won't mean anything. And, and the bit in between life, therefore, doesn't matter a whole lot in the grand scheme of things either. Okay, so, so we are kind of a, a random accident of history, an accident of ge genetics, of biology, of chemistry. 
uh, that we are here. We, we might not have been here, but we just happen to be here. Um, the, fact, the fact is your life really is, is, is not worth an awful lot. Because, you know, you, you came from nothing, you came from kind of random selection, random mutations, you will go to nothing, so it, you just do, make, make of life what you will. If you want to give it a meaning, fine, give it a meaning. If not, don't give it a meaning, it doesn't really matter. Now the Bible comes in, and in these verses in Genesis, where everything begins, the Bible says something really quite different. It says you were made for a reason. It says that you were created for a purpose. And it's only in understanding that, only when, it, when it, only when you make sense of that, do you really begin to understand who you are. You see, what Genesis says, I'm not going to go into all of it, but Genesis chapter 1, it says that we are humans are made distinct from everything else. So through Genesis 1, you've got God making the world, and he makes everything within the world, and he keeps repeating, it was good, it was good, it was good. He made, a, he made an amazing creation. But then you get the pinnacle, the, the kind of the climax of his work. And, and he makes human beings. And, and they're, they're different from everything else. Because unlike anything else, God breathes his life into human beings. That's the, they're the words of the Bible. God actually breathes his life, his spirit, into human beings. They're distinct from everything else. God imprints, think of it like this, he imprints something of himself into human beings. If you want, if you want to, you, there's, there's a great term for this, which is the imagio dei. I'm trying to impress you with my Latin. Um, It means the image of God. And every single human being, this is what the Bible says, is imprinted, is imagio dei, is imprinted with the image of God. There is something distinct, there is something unique about every single human being. And then God, what God then says, he creates creates everything and says, good, it's good, it's good. He creates humans and then he says, it's very good. It's very good. Why? Because humans are made in his image. Now, we could spend a long time, we could spend like a whole conference looking at what that means. But let, let me explain what it means in terms of our identity. <laughs> I love to think of this. The first, do you know what the first thing the first human being ever saw when they opened their eyes was? It's the face of God. It's the presence of God. As Adam opens up his eyes... He looks into the face of his creator. He sees his creator's smile. That's the first, because God fashions Adam. He makes Adam, and Adam opens his eyes, and he, and he looks into the face of his creator, and he knows his creator's smile. He, <laughs> and in that moment, let me tell you, in that moment, everything checked out. In that moment, Adam knew who he was. He knew his place in the world. Everything made sense. In relation to his creator, the whole world made sense. It it was a glorious moment. In many ways, it was one of the greatest moments in the whole human race. He knew knew the love of the one who'd made him. He knew himself. He knew his place in this world. And all of us, all of us are made, listen, all of us are made to find our identity in God. God. Okay, all of us are made to find our identity in God. What do I mean? This is probably one of the most important things I'll say today. This is, uh, this is the picture that I'll use through the sessions to, to try and explain it, to try and get, get your heads around this. The Bible teaches it like this. Um, I, 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 didn't, I, did, I, was, I was the arts guy in school. I, I wasn't the, the um, science one. I didn't really enjoy science. Uh, but my, my, dad, my dad gave me, he birthed in me kind of a, um, a passion for astronomy. 
Um, it's kind of one of my secret nerd things that no one really knows. And, um, and I, I, loved, I love the stars, I love the planets. And I can remember sitting down with, with Dad um, and, and sitting in my science class and actually listening, which was a unique thing in my science classes, uh, whenever we talked about the universe, whenever we talked about our, our solar system. And, uh, and, I, and I loved, and I remember the image settled really early in my head. There right in the center is the sun. Yeah, this is a science lesson, Science 101. Me teaching science to you is, is, um, is a strange thing. Uh, so you've got the sun right in the center, and around the sun, everything orbits, yeah? You know, you know this. Everything spins around the sun. And I can remember this, this one thing, and I can remember I put my, my hand up once in science class, and I said, what happens if the sun moves? What happens if you were to take the sun away? And science teachers, they, they love questions like that. Um, and, uh, and, and they basically said it would be just, it, everything would fall out of place. The center of gravity would be lost. The thing around which everything spun would disappear and everything would go haywire. Yeah, everything would just go, I mean, I don't know what would happen. It would just like, spin off in, in a million different directions. And here's what the Bible says. You were created with God in the center. Okay? Human beings were made to have God in the burning center. God was to be the sun around which the whole of our life would orbit. Everything would spin. He was the one who would give us a center of gravity. He would be the one who would spin us around in our orbits, which would really make sense. The place where we would know who we, are, we were, where we would know our place in the world. God was to be the burning center. He was the thing who would give us a sense of who we are. And yet here's what happens. We're going to look at this in the next one. When you take God from the center, just like if you were to take the sun from the middle of the solar system, you lose your center of gravity. And everything begins to spin out of control. You lose the thing around which you orbit. What I'm going to say to you is that the Bible says when you lose your center of gravity, when God goes, things begin to distort. Your sense of who you are. Your sense of your place in the world. Your sense of how life is supposed to check itself out. All of those things begin to spin wilder and wilder and wilder. We're going to look at it in more detail in the next session. But here's what I want you to see. When God is at the center, life checks out. Because you have the right center of gravity. You have the right thing around which your life is orbiting. But when God is removed, when he's taken away, things begin to distort. You know what? As as Adam and Eve lived there, there with God, there as they found their meaning in the face of God, as they found their sense of worth in the face of God, you know, they, do you know what? They never have any of the issues with identity that we struggle with. They never have any of them. Do you know what? Eve, do you know what Eve, Eve never said to Adam, Adam, do you think I look fat this morning? And then Adam never turned around to Eve and said, well, do you know what, Eve, I've been thinking, maybe I should work on my six-pack. You know, may, maybe you would love me more if I had you know, guns you could you know, crack a walnut between. They never said that to one another. Why? Because they knew who they were in the face of God. Do you know what? Eve and Adam and Eve, they were, they were never working in creation as God told them to. And, and they kind of stop and, and say, I'm really unsatisfied in my job. I, you know, I really need to get a new job to find, to find a sense of worth and meaning. Yet Adam never gets up and says, what in the world is this all about? Man, I don't know who I am. I don't, know, I don't know who I am in this world. I don't know who this woman is you've placed. I don't know any of this stuff. They never had those moments. They never had those moments. Why? Because God was where he should be. Because God was in the center. Because everything was spinning around him. Now what we're going to see is we lose that relationship with God. And when we lose that relationship with God, like I said, everything spins out of control. But here's the truth. Every single one of us still looks 
for the smile of our creator. Every single one of us, without exception, looks for that sense of security that Adam has as he opened his eyes and he saw the smile of God. Every single one of us seeks it, and you know it. You know it. Now some of you are saying, shut up, do I know it? What do you mean I know it? What do you mean that everybody knows it? You're like, I can take, I can take you out there and we can just stand on the balcony and I can show you a ton of people who don't know it. Yeah. Let, let me explain. When we lose that center of gravity, we'll go into much more detail next session, but when we lose it, we don't seek to just leave a vacuum. Because vacuums can't exist in our souls. When God goes, we seek to replace the thing around which we orbit. We seek, to ha- we seek to find a new center of gravity around which life can spin. And people search for it in a million different places, in a million different ways, but the truth is every single one of us still looks for that sense that we're spinning in the right way. Let me, let me, uh, let me show you this. There's a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> It's one of my favorite books. It's a cool little book. Um, kind of think, you read it and you think, is this supposed to be in the Bible? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, and, uh, and it was written, most likely written by a guy called Solomon. Um, and the author, the author has everything. He has everything that 50, 60% of you right now think will make you happy. Okay, he has everything. I mean, seriously, this guy, he maxes out on everything. He has, he has every single thing that most people look to, to put as a center of gravity, that most people look to build their lives on. Let, let me explain. You read through Ecclesiastes, and this is what you find. He had money. I mean, the, the guy had stupid amounts of money. Okay, there's so much money that he's like, he gets up and I don't know what to do with this money. Really don't know what to do with it. Um, he had relationships. He had friends. He had colleagues. He had massive groups of people who he could speak to, who he could talk with, who he could relate to. He had a friendship group that was kind of like nobody else's. Uh, he had sex. He had multiple wives. He had a harem, okay, which was basically there just for his pleasure. You know, this, this guy had access to sex like, like none of you ever will have. He had, an, he had academic achievement, all right? He, had, he was the smartest guy in the class and then some. Okay, he, he had published books. Uh, you know, he, he, had, he had poems. He, had, he, was, he, was, he was such an intelligent man. Um, he, uh, he had career success. Seriously, the guy's the king. <laughs> tell me, tell me how, where do you go from there? Okay? <laughs> where do you climb higher than that? The, the guy was the king. He had homes. He had property. He had power. He had fame. He had recognition. He had everything. Everything that you see people basing their life on. Everything that you see people spinning their lives around. And yet, do you know what, is, do, do you know what he says? He says, he says, I've got all of this. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. This is what he says. Yet, when I surveyed all my hands had done, and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. There was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. In the King James Version of the Bible, which I'd be surprised if any of you use, it says, um, vanity, vanity, all was Vanity. Yeah, we've got some King James lovers at the back. That's good. King Jimmy, the King Jimmy. Um, so you've got this guy. He has everything. It's everything. Everything at which all of us are seeking to get. And here's what he says. You know what? It's like, it's like breath. It's meaningless. He says, I've got it all. This is everything that you're looking to. And he says, it's just insubstantial. It feels like a breath. So he, he says... 
He says, the things I thought would work, the things I, the things I, I thought I would give me a sense of who I am, they've not worked. There's still a void. Why is that? Why is he disappointed after he chases all of those things? You think, well, maybe it's just the guy. Maybe it's just him, yeah? It wouldn't happen to me. <laughs> Seriously, if I, like, if I had all of those things, I would be satisfied. Life would make sense. I would know who I am. But no, you wouldn't, you see. And this, this is the reason why. This is what, listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He says, that, he says the problem here, all of your life, I'm quoting Lewis now, all of your life there's been an unobtainable ecstasy that has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. Though you're often on the verge of breaking through when you're in a boat, when you're falling in love, when you're, when you're, when you're starting on a pleasurable experience, you think, ah, finally, this is it. And yet, you never have it. Some of you, are, some of you are, and many of you are young, but how many of you know that already? You keep thinking, this is what's going to do it, yeah? Is, is that rain? Is that rain? Man, that's a lot of rain, isn't it? Okay, I've, I've recognized, I've acknowledged that there's rain, now we can all listen again, okay? Because some of you are like, there's rain, there's rain, it's raining on the roof, can you hear it? We live in England, how surprised can you be? Okay, it's raining. Move on. <clears throat> But how many of you already know the feeling? You, you chase from one thing to the next. You, honestly, if you know that, you think, well, yeah, if, but once, once this is done, then, then, it, then I'll know who I am. Then it will make sense. 18, yeah, when I'm 18, then things will check out. You know, then I'll be the real man. University, once I'm there, once I'm at university, then I'll know who I'm supposed to be. Once I've got my first job, yeah, that, that, then I'll make sense. The relationship, that relationship I must be in. When I'm in that relationship, then things will make sense. Then it'll be okay. Then I'll know who I am. Lewis says, you know what? It always fails to satisfy. Why? Because your heart was made for a bigger thing to orbit around. Yeah? Because your heart was not made to be satisfied with something else. Here's what Lewis says. He He says, all the things we experience, you know, they're not the thing itself. They're like the scent of a flower we've not found, the echo of a tune that we've not heard, news from a country we've not yet visited. It's a music we were born remembering. There is a scent we are born remembering and we're trying to smell in a flower. Do you hear what he says? Do you hear what Lewis says? He says, you were made for something more and you know it. And the Bible says what you were made for is only to be found in the face of your creator. It's only to be found as you know God. Richard, I've got no idea. What time are we on? How, how much longer have we got in this session? Who am I looking for for a time check here? Yeah? Give me a sense because I just need to know where to go on this next bit. 10, 15? 10, 15. Right, okay. Is that okay with people? 10, 15 minutes and more. <clears throat> right, let me push this a bit deeper then. Why is it you know this? Why is it that something must be at the centre? Because some of you will be resisting this. You say, no, 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 I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about this. Why do you know you were made for something more? Well, this gets to the very, the very core of who we are as people. See, when I say we were made to know God, when I, when, I'm, when I say we were made to know who we are in relation to God, it's not a neutral thing I'm talking about. See, we weren't just made to live kind of neutrally with God. We were made to worship God. Okay. You weren't just created by God, you were created to worship God. <clears throat> what does that mean? This is really what I'm talking about when, when you have something at the center. Having something at the center. What I mean by worship is, is that 
there is something that takes the most significant place. Something that takes the central, but the most important thing in life. And all of us are made to have God as that place. The weightiest thing. The thing of most significance. And that means every single one of us, our souls, they're hardwired for worship. It's like you can't change the program. You can't unpick that. Everybody, everybody is wired for worship. But what, when, you know, when, so when God isn't at the center, somebody else, something else is. See, one of the biggest mistakes we make, we think only religious people worship. It's one of the biggest lies you'll ever hear. Everybody worships. The question that the Bible asks is never, do you worship? The question the Bible asks is always, what or whom do you worship? Does that make sense? It's never if you worship, it's always what or who do you worship? That's the question the Bible presents you with. Without exception, everybody worships. And let me just go to a part of the Bible, which is a strange part to go to, you may think, but it defines what I'm talking about with worship, which I think will just put some flesh on these bones. It's in Romans. Um, We're going to come back to Romans later on today. You can turn there if you want, um, but you can just listen if you'd like. Uh, Romans chapter 11, and I'm just going to read from verse 36. Paul is talking about the worship of God when God is at the center where he should be. He says, for from him, this is God, and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory forever, amen. And then we move into chapter 12. There's not really a chapter break. Paul didn't write chapter breaks, okay? It's just useful for us to know. And then he says this. It's like he says, to God be the glory forever. What does that look like? What does worship look like? He tells you in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He says there's three, three things that worship involves. Glory, sacrifice, and dedication. Or glory, dedication, and sacrifice. Let me explain each of those things. Glory. This, this is that thing that's weightiest at the center of life. This is the thing around which everything else will spin. The one thing that you are most committed to that takes up your thoughts. Your time, it takes up all of those kind of things. It's the most significant thing in your life. <clears throat> In, in the Bible, the word glory, um, the, the Hebrew word underneath, often, often is, is the word that kind of it tr- it communicates a sense of weightiness. Okay, what's the heaviest thing in the center of your life? That will be the thing with the most glory, okay? That will be the thing that everything else is lined up around, that you center your life around. And once you've got something like that, it leads to this next thing, it leads to dedication, Dedication. You, you're committed to this thing. Life becomes dedicated. You spend time on it. You think more and more about it. You, you'll, join, you'll join things that allow you to pursue this thing. Communities, clubs, you know, whatever it might be. You show your dedication to this thing. It doesn't matter if it's a team, a personality, type of music. You dedicate yourself to this thing that has the glory. You're passionate about this thing that has the glory. Your life will line up to follow it. And that follows to the third thing. You sacrifice to pursue this thing. Okay, I mean, every single one of us, we have limited resources. We have limited time. We have limited money. Some of you have very limited money. Uh, we, have, we have limited talents. And yet, to this thing, we give the lion's share. You know, our, our time goes to pursue this thing, to spend time on this thing. Our money goes to this thing to fuel it so we can get to follow it. Our talent is devoted to it. You know, who, you know the sense of the gifts we have, all of our abilities, we follow those things. And by that definition, all of us worship we all have a glory to which we will dedicate ourselves to and which we will make sacrifices in order to follow. 
I say again, the question is, according to the Bible, it's never if you worship. The question is always who or what will you worship? So let me give you the problem the Bible sets us up so I can kind of tee us up for the second session. The reason we're all worshippers is because we were made to worship. Because the Bible presents God as a creator God who made us. He makes all things. And, and we are built with an, this inbuilt desire, this sense, this thing that none of us can get away from, to worship our creator. And yet you're going to see, we're going to look at the, the fact that this gets, this gets fractured. And what we do, instead of having God at the center, we move other things to the center. We take God off and other things we seek to replace him. <clears throat> and... Uh, and, and what happens to the, to, to the world and to each one of us? So this is, uh, I'll, I'll, kind of, I'll, I'll finish with describing this. Um, we lose a sense of what the Bible calls shalom. Um, shalom is, is uh, it's often translated as peace in your Bibles. It, it's actually, it, the word comes up an awful lot. And, uh, and peace, it's, it's unfortunate because peace doesn't really communicate the strength of this word. Um, peace when we think of peace, we tend to think, well, yeah, I'm happy on the inside, yeah. Or, um, you know, may, maybe there's this, this kind of peace between nations. Shalom isn't really about that. Shalom is this kind of rich, it's one of the richest Hebrew words that it is. And it's this, it's this sense of everything being knitted together. Okay, have you ever, have you ever unraveled a ball of wool? Um, I have. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I used to do it for fun. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's great. It's, you see everything spin out. You know, when you look at it to begin with, it looks great, doesn't it? A ball of, when you, I, I don't spend much time in knitting shops, but if you go, there is something beautiful in, in a ball of wool that's been rolled together. They get the roll. I don't know how they do the roll in the middle, but you know what I'm talking about. You all know what I'm talking about. I know this. Um, but shalom is when everything fits together as it should be. But when you begin to pick at it, when you begin to unravel things, then it's not long before the whole thing spins out. Now, the, the sense of shalom, the sense of completeness that the Bible talks about is communicated with that word. And what it says is that, that when any one of us, when we're right with God, there's a sense in which everything is knitted in as it should be. When we make sense, when the world begins to make sense, when everything is where it should be. But when God leads at the center, when God moves from the center, bits begin to unpick. Life begins to unravel. We lose the sense of peace, the shalom that the Bible teaches. And the whole of creation is going through that process, unraveling, it's unwinding. And that's the case for every single one of us. We begin to unpick, we begin to unravel. Things begin to break apart that were created to be together. And we're going to explore that more in this next one. But here's the place to start. We are created. More than just neutrally, we are created for worship. We are created for God to be the blazing center around which our lives spin, to have the smile of our creator. We are known to, we were made to know the smile of our creator. Let me finish with this. Some of you are just a tiny, you're, you're cynical. Okay, we, we, we live in a cynical culture. There's some good parts of that, but there's some bad parts too. Some of you are saying, you know, smile of the creator, really? To make sense of who I am? Do you have any idea how complex my life is? Do you have any idea how much I struggle with this issue, with this issue? And you're telling me everything is sorted when I know the smile of my creator. Let me be really... <laughs> I've, got, I've got the man police in the front row here. Um, kind of whenever, I, whenever I kind of go something that's slightly not masculine, I've got the man police here. Jeff is kind of... So, but at the risk of looking soppy, let me explain it this way. 
you'll forgive me for this, bro, because it makes sense of it. <clears throat> when I first met my wife, Hannah, I this, this is, okay, this, I won't get sickly, but when I first met my wife, Hannah, there's something amazing that happens uh, when, when, <laughs> when you meet the person that you know you'll spend the rest of your life with. And I'm not talking about lights in the sky and fire. I'm not talking about that. There is a power that that person has over you. And it's a great thing and it's a God-given thing. Now, I remember in those first months, I could be in a room of people and there was only one smile that mattered. There was one smile that mattered. And if I could walk out of that room knowing that Hannah had smiled, knowing that I'd seen her smile and it wasn't me, then quite frankly, I didn't care what the rest of the people in the room thought. Honestly, she could not care less. If I knew I had the smile of the one that I love, the smile of the one that my heart was taken with, then I could walk out of a room, comfort, I could, it made sense. Now, now listen, my, I, lo- I love my wife to pieces, but if that can happen, when just my wife, who's a normal human being, smiles at me, imagine, imagine what it's like to taste on your soul the smile of the Creator. Imagine what that does to life. When you know the one who flung stars into the furthest reaches of the universe smiles as he sees you. Imagine what that does to life. Imagine what that does to who you know you are.